Hey everyone, welcome to our final episode of 2021. We cannot believe that this year is almost through and we want to end it off on a high note by sharing with you a compilation of some of the absolute best moments from the podcast. Over the last year, we shared 37 conversations with you, about half of them with pastors from across Canada and the rest with leaders and pastors from all over the world. And there were just so many thought-provoking and inspiring moments from all the episodes, and we wanted to be extra sure that you've heard them, so we packed them all, all of our favorites, into this one episode. We hope that all of this bite-sized content encourages and serves you well. But before we move into our first clip, we want to thank a few different groups of people. As we reflect on the year, we've seen so many different people and organizations rally around the cause of supporting pastors and supporting one another. And we're just so thankful. Organizations like Alpha and Compassion and other generous donors helped sponsor the Church Leaders Incubator, making our first intake with 17 pastors from across Canada possible. Our friends at World Vision partnered with us on the podcast to release vital data around Generation Z and millennials' engagement with the Canadian Church to help us come up with creative responses that were data-driven. Pastors from different expressions and regions of Canada, some of you might be listening now, joined our pastoral cohorts to learn from, encourage, and pray with one another. And then pastors like Matt Menzel, Anne Miranda, Brent Ingersoll, Daniel M., and others gave up their time to host interviews on the podcast and to prayerfully and thoughtfully invest in our network in different ways. And dozens of pastors from all over Canada shared their stories through the podcast and our other channels, giving us all a window into what God is doing in the different pockets of our country and helping capture our imaginations for what he will continue to do through his church. And you, the listener, you tuned in episode after episode, sharing your ideas and felt needs with us, encouraging us and your fellow pastors in Canada. And we're just so grateful for all of it. God is doing much in our nation. He truly is building his church as he promised. And it is a joy to be able to tell that story and do our part to contribute to it and feel it together. If you'd like, we built out a sort of impact report for CCLN that outlines some of the stuff we were most excited about and honored to be a part of this last year. You can check that out at ccln.ca slash 2021 report. That's ccln.ca slash 2021 report. Okay, let's move into the episode. We're going to go pretty fast. So if you like a clip, I encourage you to take note of the guest's name to listen to the full conversation after. We have people from our team here at CCLN and some awesome pastors and listeners from across Canada who will be transitioning each soundbite, making sure that you know exactly who is saying what. Up first, we have a clip from Jason's conversation with Mark Buchanan, former pastor and associate professor of pastoral theology at Ambrose University, where he shares on finding your worth in Christ. That's it from me. Off to you, Mark. We hope you enjoy the best of 2021 episode. I have never seen a generation more more gifted than than you. <laughs> like I don't know what that is. If if you've, you've just kind of evolved to a higher state of of of, of you know uberness, brightness, awesomeness, or something. But I have not met a more gifted, um, extraordinarily uh, skilled, um, passionate generation than than what you represent, Jason. So I don't, I feel coming to the classroom, I'm 60 years old, that there's, there's certain things that I'm just being left in the dust on. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I would, I would I, I'm saying more and more and with more and more sense of, of urgency is that if you don't 
lay that foundation early, you will burn out. Hmm. If you don't get that foundation of intimacy with God, of slowing down, of not of of refusing to de- derive your worth, your value, your purpose from your gifting and your ambition and your accomplishment, you have to actually steadfastly refuse that. And, and the earlier you refuse it, the better. Hmm. And so again, I would reinforce with especially your younger leaders, so I'm sure there's a few older leaders listening to this could could probably hear this and be reminded of it, that that really uh, there comes a day when nobody's phoning you to come, you know, play on their worship team or preach at their webinar, you know, preach at their, their conference or whatnot. Um, and they're, you're not being... Uh, you're not being hailed for your accomplishments, the church you built or the books you wrote. Uh, and it'll be a very, very lonely existence if you predicated your sense of who you are on all of that. Hmm. Uh, what actually will make for a rich old age is that you've gone into this uh, intimacy with, with Christ and you've nurtured that and fostered that all the days of your life. And I can hardly think of a discipline outside of the nuns you name, the, the life of prayer and the life of scripture. Aside from those, I think the number one thing that actually nurtures and fosters that union with God is Sabbath. Hey friends, it's Will Lee. I'm from Surrey, British Columbia, and I'm the audio engineer behind each episode of the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. For this next soundbite, we have our favorite moment with Tim Mackey of The Bible Project, where he shares his desire to be formed by scripture. Here's Tim. I just came to this point where I was like, I'm tired. I can see that I'm remaking the Bible Hmm. into the thing that I wish it was so that I can make it do the thing I think the Bible is supposed to do. And so it kind of, and this is, I'm summarizing years of a journey here, but I kind of came to this point where I was just like, I, I don't want to look back and feel like I used the Bible. I want to look back and feel like I actually let it shape me and mm-hmm. shape the patterns of my thinking and that I, as in pastoral ministry, begin to set the things that I emphasize and talk about the most by learning the agenda of the biblical authors. So all the way back, just reading the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus, it, it, it's a paradigm of recognizing that these are beautifully, very intentionally crafted literary works from all across different genres. And that these, uh, the first three quarters, the Hebrew Bible, these are the texts on which Jesus himself was raised Hmm. and on which his imagination was formed and sparked. Um, These are the texts that the way he quotes from them, they clearly... um, were the means that the Spirit used to awaken him to his own identity and calling. And they, are, they tell the story that he saw himself bringing to fulfillment. And you don't have to read but one or two of the Gospels one, a couple times through, and you get that. Yeah. And so then it just became for me, all right, I, just want, I want to learn to read these texts and get out of them and help other people get out of them what Jesus saw in them. Hi there, my name is Catherine. I'm a youth leader from Canada's national capital, Ottawa, and I'm also a regular listener of the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. Up next, we have a great moment from Jason's conversation with Shayla Visser, director of Alpha Canada, and Jason's former boss, where she shares on providing coverage for young leaders. Let's take a listen. Looking back, one of the things that stands out to me the most is I didn't realize that while I was 
getting, getting the opportunity to lead in your organization in alpha, how much coverage you're providing for me. And I know I'll spell it out a little bit more. Like I didn't know as I, how old was I then 20, 25 or whatever it might be. I didn't know about board leadership. I didn't know what it took to raise half a million dollars or a million dollars. I didn't know about stakeholders and partners. I didn't know about any of those things. And I remember, and now I'm leading organizations and I deal with that. And I experience now providing coverage for my staff, letting them run and saying, don't worry about that. And taking hits, taking like, um, taking hits on their behalf. They might do something that affects somebody and I'm going to go and make that phone call. And you were doing that again and again and again for me. And I didn't realize that, especially early on in the journey. And I just want to lean into that idea a little bit, but can you talk a little about this idea of like, this idea of, of leaders as advocates for the next generation and, and the coverage we provide for others to thrive? I think that, Jay, what we as leaders have to do in our role is believe in someone's God-given vision for the future and mm. be willing to take hits ourselves. So when you were working on the project, I would be taking hits that you're now more aware of behind the scenes trying to provide cover for you, but willing to take them and not tell you mm-hmm. and not say, I think that's the hard thing is we want to tell the person, the young person that's running a project, hey, I'm taking hits on this side. You're giving me Yeah, you got to know how much this is costing but, me. Yeah, this is costing me. But I think at least my tendency would be to tell you, hey, I'm taking hits for you, buddy. Like, come on, suck it up. Let's go. But and you told me about realized, some of them. Like, I needed to know some of them. You let you heard. Through. A few you heard, not my most mature moments, but, but I think what I realized is just take those hits. That's what a leader does. It takes those hits so that someone else can shine. Someone else can uh, flourish in the role they're called to be in. And I really believed in you. So I think there's two things that have to underline that coverage we as leaders take. One, you have to believe in the person. You have to believe Mm. that they have the character and the competency to get the job done. And I believed in your character and competency. The second thing is genuinely have to love them. I said to God when I went on um, as the National Director of Alpha Canada, there was one prayer I had for the many months in before I formally started and when I formally started, Lord, let me love the people that work here. And so Mm. I think I, I trusted your competency and your character but I genuinely had to love you with Christ's love. And those two things working together allowed me to bring coverage to you to let you flourish. The other thing I'm increasingly convinced of, you taught me and I've learned over and over again, that the next generation has better ideas than I'll ever have. And that we have to trust their instinct for what it takes to reach their generation, what it takes to make a difference for their friends and allow them to flourish in it. So I think When I think about the coverage that I had to give, it's so worth it. And I wish I could say to other leaders who are nervous, please do it. You won't regret it. Sure, you'll take some hits. Sure, it could be painful at times. But God is so in this next generation that we have to do everything we can to give them a long runway to just take off and fly higher than us. Hey, friends. My name is Joelle, and I'm a pastor in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm a regular listener to the podcast. Here we have a great moment with Pastor Phil Can from early on in the year, where he encourages pastors to focus on the kingdom. Here's Phil. I think more importantly, we've lost the idea of kingdom. Hmm. Um, and and we've, we build empires, not kingdom. 
And there's a massive difference between an empire and kingdom. I don't have to fight my corner. I'm part of the kingdom. And, and I don't care which church. Some, like somebody came to me the other day in our place and said, you know, my background is Catholic. And I said, oh, awesome, great. Then go see Father Andrew. Like, he's a great guy, loves Jesus. Like, go see him, go to their church. And they said, well, but we love coming to, to the church on, on the hill where we are. And, and um, I said, well, go to both. Just go to both. Like, get a, you know, get a double shot, right? It's like double, <laughs> two shots. So, so, like, go to both. Um, because it's part of their tradition. Yeah. Um, and I don't, need to, I don't need to defend that. I don't need to... I, I'm not holding on to people for from my empire. It's the kingdom. Mm-hmm. If they're in the kingdom, I'm happy. Um, and and it's the kingdom, right? You you seek the kingdom. Jesus will build a church. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God. I'll build a church. Is what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, so if we seek the kingdom, he'll build a church. But most of our time is spent trying to figure out how to build a church. I'm pretty sure that's not what he said. Pretty sure he said, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. And then he'll do the building. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Sam Romine, and I serve as the executive pastor at Coquitlam Alliance Church in British Columbia. I also get the opportunity to be part of the Church Leaders Incubator program that's running right now. Up next, we have a soundbite from Jason's interview with Rich Velotis. He's the pastor of New Life Church in Queens. And, and in the interview, they talk about the marks of celebrityism and how as pastors and leaders, we can avoid it. So check it out. Here it is. You know, celebrity is different from celebrityism, first of all. And um, in that talk, I alluded to Jesus being a household name. Everyone knew Jesus. Uh, celebrity is often thrust onto people. Uh, you know, there's oftentimes where people just become celebrities, not because of nothing of their doing, you know, just they are now really well known for X amount of reasons or what have you. Uh, and so I think, you know, people would have asked Jesus to sign his sign their tunic, you know, or their parchment paper, you know, uh, as after he heals them. Uh, that's the nature of celebrity. Celebrityism is something that's much more insidious, much more destructive. Uh, and it really it's it's. It's marked by entitlement. Hmm. Uh, it's marked by a misuse of power. Uh, it's, it's marked by elitism. It's marked by depersonalization. Uh, and when I look at the church, this is, I, I think, mostly um, the, the dynamic that, that nurtures and cultivates, the environment that nurtures and cultivates celebrityism is often in larger churches because of the nature of the church. But this is not just a megachurch problem. Hmm. Uh, I've seen all kinds of churches of all kinds of sizes with people who take themselves way too seriously and have bought into this kind of celebrityism. Uh, and so what I, I talk about at New Life, one of the ways that that was, they were trying to root that out of, we didn't have language for that, but I think it was just part and parcel of the culture of New Life is when I became a pastor on staff, you know, one of the first things that I had to stop doing on Sundays was parking in the church parking lot. Uh, and in Queens, you know, we have 1500 people who come to New Life. We have about 50 parking spots. Uh, I'm not, I don't get one of those parking spots. And I remember, uh, hearing I'm not getting a park. And I was so like puzzled and upset. Like, shouldn't the pastor get a parking spot? The mega church I came from, 
I mean, they were parking the pastor's car. He, he did not only had a parking spot, he dropped it off and somebody picked it up and parked it for him. If I can't get that, at least can I get a parking spot? But they were ruining <laughs> that out of me and out of our culture. Like, no, we're, we're going to lead the way here in, in, in serving. And certainly that can go to the opposite extreme where pastors are you know, treated like crap. Yeah. And, and they're, they're not being served and, and adequately cared for and such. Uh, but uh, the opposite of that is that celebrityism, which is marked by that kind of entitlement. Uh, you know, who are the people? What are the tasks that are beneath you? That's really a question of celebrityism uh, and humility. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm happy to explore more, Jason, but that's the thrust of it. Mm. Uh, celebrityism is marked by entitlement and uh, what applies to you doesn't apply to me. And mm. I'd be lying to you if I told you that does that doesn't lurk inside of me because it does. But I need a I need an environment and a culture uh, that protects me from me. Hmm. What else can we do as 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 younger leaders to protect our hearts and our teams from that kind of culture? I I, I do think it it does require invite that this is a hard thing because um uh, to experience feedback criticism uh it can be very painful and i i i mean i've been in this role like i said eight years the first four or five years uh whenever elders would review my you know give me my annual review it was always a very painful and they'd say rich you're doing fantastic this is great here are a couple of areas that we're looking at and those two areas would just crush me and it took a mm-hmm. long time before I began to see all that feedback in a different light without the level of insecurity that I was carrying. But I think it, it does require um, conscious invitation within the church and outside the church. You know, some pastors, it's very easy to invite outside perspective and feedback and not ask for that internally. Mm. Um, what that does, it, it keeps us at a very safe distance because the people from outside of us, they're not working with us. Uh, they don't know what it's like to actually be with us on a day-to-day basis. The people I work with are the people. So um, I think whether it's elders, whether it's a pastoral team, having a space where you can be honest, um, and it, this is not groundbreaking stuff here, but I think we need it internally and externally. Um, you know, who can we receive criticism from, feedback from, encouragement from. But often, oftentimes it, it requires us to take the initiative as pastors uh, in order to do that. Uh, additionally, uh, you know, I, I do think it requires uh, seasonally um, the board or whomever to get access to a spouse as well. Uh, mm. Because the spouse of the pastor knows a whole lot more than everyone else on what the true state of affairs are. Uh, And so creating space where the spouse can say, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what life is like in our home, um, I think can go a long way in getting through some of the the stuff in a very poignant, uh, you know, pointed way. Hi friends, it's Josh Thompson. I'm a project coordinator on the team here at CCLN. In this next moment, we have Darren Roundson. He is the lead pastor of Garden Church in Long Beach, California. In this clip, he shares about the power of storytelling and taking risks. Hope you enjoy. 
Tell me if this is still the case. I heard a rumor about you guys. And it was a rule around stories that you tell. Is this true? That you yeah. what's the rule? So we do staff stories because how you, the stories that you celebrate build the culture, right? Of your church. So the stories you celebrate internally, externally will build a, a culture. And I'm all about building culture versus strategy. Like Peter Drucker says, right? Culture eats strategy for breakfast or something like that. Um, our strategy was to tell stories about risk and hmm. risk of share words of knowledge, praying on the streets, conversion, introducing people to Jesus, generosity stories. So all built around the things that have marked us as a church. And, and we, we just said, Hey, you can't come to it. So our staff meetings, we have to tell stories that aren't older than a week. And if we, you know, if we didn't have a staff meeting for two weeks, we'd say it's no older than two weeks. But the idea is we're not going to celebrate stories that are a year old here. We can't celebrate mm. a story that's six months old because that, that means you're celebrating something that's dead. We need stories that are fresh. We need stories that are current um, and keep you going. So literally we, would, we got to the point where we said, you can't attend staff meeting unless you have a story. So it's funny. Like we'd have lunch sometimes before staff. That's so meeting. intense. But like, you know, I have no joke. One of my, my, one of my best friend who's on staff, John, he, he's like, I don't have a story. So he, he takes his, he's like, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to have lunch. Goes out on the street, you know, where our office is and literally sees a healing and someone accept Jesus in 30 minutes and comes back with those testimonies. And it mm -hmm. wasn't like, he wasn't like, all right, I'm going to go convert. That's not his men mentality. His question is, you know, the way we do prayer on the streets often is, hey, if God could do one miracle in your life, what would it be? And someone's like, oh, you know, I would love for uh, to win the lotto. And, you know, we'd say, okay, Lord, would you bring financial breakthrough? And, you know, we just pray a blessing over this person. And then oftentimes words of knowledge would come into someone's head. And that happened for John. And this person is on the street weeping. How did you know mm. this? I didn't. Jesus did. He wants a relationship with you. And this guy was a Christian and like rededicated his life back to God. And, and then, you know, and then he's coming to Alpha. So like mm. those stories by having that kind of that silly story, you know, you got to have a story that's no older than a week. It did create a fire within our community to just mm. go for it and to take risks. And we, and we celebrate the risk. Like, so what I mean is I I'm probably of all the people on our staff, I probably get it wrong the most. Like I'll have a, a story, you know, I'll, I'll have a word of knowledge. I think I'll have a word of knowledge. And then I'll go share it with some random person. They're like, no, that's not it at all. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm out and I'll walk away. But I'll, I'll, our staff will celebrate the risk. Like, hey, we, you mm -hmm. know, it wasn't done out of an ill intention. It's done out of God's, you know, desire to bring his love. Um, and that's kind of our posture is we just want to express God's love to people. Hey, it's Anne Miranda. I'm one of the pastors at Village Church in Surrey, BC. And I can't wait for you to hear what's up next. We have a clip from Aaron White. He's from 24-7 Prayer Canada, and he's gonna encourage the church to live open-handedly. Listen to this. I mean, every year, I, I actually do this work of, of saying, is there something, Lord, that you want to say to your church? And as I started working on that this year and decided saying, Lord, what is, what, do you have a word for your church? Um, the really immediate and strong impression, and I've just even been praying about it this week, is again, is uh, I heard the Lord say, give it away. Would you just give it away? And, and I don't, again, I'm not trying to be prescriptive of what that means for each church. But if we're talking about what posture the church should be taking, I think, uh, in the world, 
um, a radical generosity is not the worst one. Mm. Would you just give it away and not try and hold on to things? I got the real sense again that we're, we've been trying to hold on to things that were never ours to hold on to. And the Lord wants us to open our hands. And it's safe to open our hands and to give it away because his, his uh, mercies never cease and his, his blessing is abundant. And, and if we believe that there's abundance, that we're living in a world of abundance with a God of abundance, then we can just freely give stuff away because freely we'll receive again. If we think that we're in a world of scarcity, then we're going to hold on tight to what we've got. Hi, everyone. It's Brandon Richardson. I'm the lead pastor of Slate Church in Waterloo, Ontario, alongside my wife, Emma, and I'm a part of the Church Leaders Incubator through CCLN. Here's a great soundbite from Drew Hyun, pastor of Hope Church Midtown in New York, where he talks about the high stakes of church leadership. I'll pass it off to Drew. So for 10 years, I was on staff at New Life Fellowship. So I was working on staff. I, I worked from an intern, and then 10 years later, I was the senior associate pastor and teaching pastor. And so... What was so uh, harrowing for me was after that 10-year run, when we discerned a call to leave and, to, and we were trying to f- discern what was next for us, we left. And honestly, this pride had crept up within me. That was basically mm. like, oh, yeah, you know, like now I'm 30, 31 years old and um, I've kind of, I, th- I think I've mastered this emotional health thing. You know, and so I, I just remember, like, I wouldn't ever say that out loud, but I mean, that's kind of how I thought, like, ah, uh, yeah, I, th- I think I'm beyond this now. And... And so then we discerned that we were supposed to plant a church. And so we started planting a church. And, you know, Mike Tyson has that phrase where he basically says, uh, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of what church planting was for me. It was this foray now into moving from the second chair to the first chair, being into this pioneering, um, intense spiritual battle of starting this new work in mm you know, post-Christian secular context. And with all of the challenges of money and leadership and complaints and all of these things, um, I realized that my soul began to wither again. And in a weird way, um, it was only after I left New Life and had started this church planning journey, I would actually email Pete regularly, him and Jerry. Mm. I would basically say two things. Number one was, um, I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> and I would say, hey, I'm sorry for um, the ways in which I had just been so arrogant. And I thought I had it all figured out. And now I see the things that you were trying to tell me. And mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, I didn't take it quite as seriously as I should have. And the second thing that I wrote to them was thank you. Like, thank you so much. Like, knowing my own family history and where I've come from my own um, thirst for approval and people-pleasing, my own ways in which um, I am so kind of driven by achievement. Like, I, I just told him, thank you, because if, if I had not been with you for 10 years, um, as hard as I'm struggling now, I, I don't know where I would be. Mm. And so in a weird way, um, it was actually leaving New Life and Pete and Jerry that I gained an even deeper appreciation for their message. And so now what's like, you ask the question, what's at stake? I mean, for me, I think that, and even now that I've been in this church planning journey for about nine years now, um, I, you know, the more I look around at my peers and, um, and I'm around different church leaders, whether they're large churches or smaller churches, I mean, the number one issue is the sustainability and the vibrancy of one's own soul 
and the state of one's marriage and family, or if they're single, there's the state of their own kind of healthy relationships and community. And so um, I think, I mean, I, I hate to sound so hyperbolic about this, but I think everything's at stake because the witness of the gospel, um, I think the longevity, especially in a place like New York and where already there's a sense of cynicism and skepticism towards Christians and the message, I think the health and the vibrancy and whether we are truly a people who um, uh, not only talk about a loving God, but actually embody a loving presence, I mm. think that's what's at stake. And so, um, so that's why I'm so deeply committed to this, to emotionally healthy discipleship and, and to the need for fathers and mothers like Pete and Jerry and others um, who are willing to invest not in kind of... Uh, you know, hey, let, let me tell you how you, your church can grow and become, and you can become a, a media influencer, a social media influencer, but rather l- let me show you a way or a path of how you can hopefully be a person who abides and loves Jesus more fully, who um, has a marriage that really mirrors the mystery uh, of God and his love for for us through the ways that your marriage can embody that as a loving relationship with one another. Um, and the ways that you can also look Mm. to raise up sons and daughters. Hey, it's Ralph Alvaro here. I'm on the communications and social media team here at CCLN. Next up, we have Francis Chan from We Are Church talking about keeping communion central in our church gatherings. Off to you, Francis. It was only 500 years ago that the the communion, the, the, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, it was at the center all those years. And it was yeah. only 500 years ago that we moved it aside. A guy moved it aside and put his pulpit there. Wow. Okay. Zwingli did that for the first time, put a big wooden pulpit and moved communion to the side. And then we keep shoving it further, further, further and building bigger and bigger pulpits. And what happens is now we're, we're looking at, you know, the pulpit and going, okay, I like Zwingli's message. And suddenly Zwingli and Luther and Calvin, and now they're all divided on the bread and cup. And now whose pulpit am I going to go to? And now we've got thousands of pulpits. And and which one are you going to go listen to? You know, whose podcast is the, is, is, is the best? Who's this? It's, it's all, why? Because we stopped staring at the body and blood of Jesus. We took him away from the center. Mm-hmm. And I've had to repent of this where... There were Sundays I'm like, I didn't have, we don't have time for communion day. We got to get right. you guys out. We'll do it more next week. I just had that one last point in the sermon. I felt like it's so important, you know, and then pretty soon it's once a month, once a quarter here, just grab a little cup on your way out and you're going, whoa, this is, we've made a mockery of mm-hmm. this. And we, we put the elements at the center now and if we don't have time for me to preach, I don't preach. But we're not going to go without the body and blood of Jesus. And we want his presence central. Mm-hmm. And even when I preach, I'm preaching around the, the body and blood of Christ. Everything is centered on him. And so people come to be with him and experience him in a deeper way. And I, I, I believe that's, that's the key to unity is it's not about, is it my voice, your voice, or someone else's voice that's going to lead the church to unity? No, because then it just becomes a competition again of voices. It's 
can we get as reverent as we can around the body and blood of Christ? And I believe something mysterious will happen in our souls that will draw us closer to Him and to each other. Hi, my name is Tia Mori, and I'm the lead pastor at Birchie Head Pentecostal Church in Bombay, Newfoundland, and I'm part of Church Leaders Incubator. Coming up now, we have one of our favorite moments with Sid Coop, Director of Youth Worker Community, where he will share on the state of youth ministry in Canada. Here's Sid. I want to ask kind of a meta question. How are we doing with the next generation? Like, you know, you are part of a lot of research projects with the EFC and other groups. Um, you're on the ground. Anecdotally, you're seeing a lot of youth ministries. How are we doing out there, man? Like, I'm reading the data that it seems like at an increasing rate, students are disengaging with the life of the local church. The pandemic uh, accelerated that. At least that's what it seems. Tell me what you're seeing. Yeah, being a pretty emotional dude, it would probably depend on the time of day when you ask me that question, yeah. how I'm going to respond. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I was I was thinking about this. Like, Generally speaking, I'm, I'm somewhat of an optimist. But you're right. Like, The, the data isn't positive. You, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm obviously concerned greatly about um, the next generation, how they define faith, how they understand what it means to follow Jesus. I think sense of identity is so significant within and without the church. Like that, um, I'm deeply concerned that we that we're in a space where identity primarily comes from within that we create as opposed to allowing God to give us our identity that we discover and then surrender to that. Those kinds of things really, really concern mm. me a lot. And it has a deep, like it's deeply rooted both within the church and outside of the church with young people, deeply rooted. But at the same time, um, as I'm working with youth leaders and, um, and volunteers, I'm really encouraged mm by the number of youth workers and youth leaders that are really thoughtful about wow. passing faith to the next generation, about growing their commitment. Like, um, you know, I, I'm really excited about the number of churches where point youth workers are going, man, I need to do a better job of, um, of discipling my leaders so that they can disciple the kids in their mm. care. And that gives me a ton of hope because yeah. like now we're kind of scaling. And again, it's not just about the fact that that's going to make a difference in the 12-year-old or the 15-year-old, but also in my volunteer leaders who are involved in this as well. So yeah. I see that affecting broadly. So I'm really encouraged by that kind of movement. And and the other thing is, Jay, like, I just believe that God always has remnants hmm. in place, like always. I, you and I were talking the other day about um, Elijah when he's so depressed over the state of of Israel and people following after God. And God says, oh, there's like 5,000 who haven't bowed a knee. Hmm. And you're not aware of them, but they're there and I'm at work. And so that kind of narrative- Dude, I need that always, word right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like looking over the city of Vancouver yeah, or whether it's Canmore or whatever city, it's like, yeah. feels like, man, is there, and there are, but it's just some, of course there are, but I some know. days it feels like, are there other, are, is anyone else? Oh, dude. And it does feel overwhelmed, which is probably the other reason why, Jay, what, what, you know, what you guys are doing, gathering as networks, gathering in groups is really important because we have to be reminded that we're not the only ones. Yeah. Well, hey guys, my name is Atsu Nickel and I'm one of the video editors here at CCLN in Vancouver, BC. Coming up, we have one of our favorite moments from our interview with John Mark Comer, where he talks about pastoring as vicarious suffering. Here's John Mark. I read this little book um, last summer, and I wouldn't even necessarily recommend the book, but it was on like basically about Pauline theology. It was a weird academic little book, Pauline theology of pastoring. 
like what's Paul's theology of what it means to be a pastor. And it was really interesting. And there was this chapter in there on Paul's theology of leadership is vicarious suffering. Mm. And of course, two Corinthians would be the kind of great case text for this, but there's lots of other places too. Paul seems, you know, his whole thing, like death is at work in us, but life is at work in you, or we are comforted so that you can receive comfort. You know, he has this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's this whole theology of how he's allowing his suffering for the gospel and for orthodoxy and for standing for truth was full of meaning for him. Hmm. It was vicarious, not in the sense that he was suffering for the atonement of the churches he planted, but in a Christ-like way, he was suffering in their place. He was allowing um, persecution, pressure, emotional pain, exhaustion, and in his case, death and martyrdom and torture into his body in order for healing and life and forgiveness and freedom to flow through him to the churches that he was pastoring. Mm. And this is the Christ-like path of the cruciform way and the downward kind of spirituality of descent, you know, that as we, pastoring is suffering love. And as we get to participate in the sufferings of Christ, which I've never really understood that until the last year, I really feel like I have been participating in the sufferings of Christ. I'm not sinless like Christ. I've said and done stupid things that were well worthy of drawing people's ire. I'm not talking about that stuff. But I've also stood for Jesus and for orthodoxy and for his church and for his call to discipleship and obedience and have been at an emotional level, not a physical level, persecuted for that and hurt for that and attacked for that and slandered for that. And that's a way of me allowing that pain into my body and that wounding into my body so that healing can flow to others, you mm. know, and there's that odd psychology where people attack their caregivers and it's actually because they feel safe with them. And we often get attacked by the people that we want to serve because they're full of pain and they need somewhere to offload that pain. And our job is to be to absorb that and to be the place where that anger, hate, acrimony, where it ends. Hi, everyone. My name is Dan Comrie. I pastor the Abbotsford campus of Relate Church here in British Columbia. Up next, we've got Emma Narayanan. Uh, we're part of this year's CCLN Incubator program together and her husband, Ben. Together, they pastor Avant Life Church. And here, they share the importance of seeing people in church ministry. Let's check it out. I mean, I, we've been kind of uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount and, and before Jesus sits down to talk to those who have chosen to follow him. So talking to his disciples, talking to those of us who have said yes to him, it, it says this line, it says, and he looked at the multitude of people and then he taught. And I'm like, man, like we got to keep looking at the multitude of people. Like that's what actually drove Jesus to teach his disciples. Like like that he always had Compassion. the multitudes on his mind. He was never not thinking about them. And mm. um and that's why he taught. And so even in 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 teaching leadership and and having leadership conversations, if it's not with the multitude in mind, then we're just mm. talking. Um, and Christ wants us to actually transform that multitude and and be a part of their story and always have compassion. I don't remember who I heard it from, but um, it, it was this saying that actually burnout is not a, a pastor's 
greatest fear. It's actually blackout when you lose empathy for people. Oh my lord! Yeah. Wow. And I'm like, man, if that isn't true, like, like, man, I, God, just help me not blackout. Mm. Like, if I if I continue to toil in working on this kingdom of yours, but I've lost all my empathy, I've lost all care and regard for people. Yeah, then I am just working on a building. It's a it's just you're working on resources. You're not working on people. You're not working with people in their stories. And that is what we are. That's that's the bride of Christ. That's the body of Christ. Hey, friends. It's Leash from Village Church in Calgary, Alberta. I'm one of the hosts here from time to time on the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. Coming up, we have a clip from Mike Pilavachi of Soul Survivor in the UK, where he shares the importance of the whole family of God coming alongside young people. Here's Mike. If we employ someone or we we get someone to be a volunteer youth pastor in order to look after the kids, to babysit them, we've missed it completely. And you know that you know there's that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a whole church to raise a generation of young people. And they have to be a priority. And and that doesn't mean just chucking money at them. Um, what what we've noticed is lots of our teenagers, they actually love having relationship with a few people who have grey hairs, hmm. you know, the grandparent types. And it's it's investing in every way. It's giving them space. It's 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 seeing their potential and not making it a department that's over there that someone else runs. So our youth pastors in in our church, Ben and Sam, they were my interns years ago. Then they went to university, got got theology degrees, and now they're back. And so I've got a great friendship with them. And I want that because, because I want it to be easy that I'm involved as well and that we're all involved and that we all make it a priority. And I think you're absolutely right. And it means getting them to do stuff a little bit before they're ready. And that's wonderful. Hi, everyone. My name is Jason Charles, and I'm the lead pastor at City Collective Church in Langley, BC. And I have the privilege of being part of the Church Leaders Incubator. Coming up next, we have a soundbite from Jason's second interview with Ho Ming Choi, pastor of Richmond Hill Christian Community Church. In this clip, he shares the opportunity and cost of building multicultural churches in Canada. Let's listen together. Talking about this, the, the rate of immigration in Canada. So for those yeah. first generation immigrants, what is the best way for us to serve both those who are coming with a Christian faith, but then also there's an evangelistic opportunity as well. So what, what can the church, so not just Richmond Hill, but like my church, your church, the church do to best serve uh, this this large percentage of the Canadian population? Well, I, I think it's an and situation rather than an or. What mm-hmm. I mean by an and is I think we need churches like the way, um, but also churches like like my church. Because not all immigrants are not all the same. You know, like they, some of them are very comfortable in saying, hey, we want to try our hand out in English. We want to go get right into the culture. Right. Quite a few of them uh, are not like that. And they want to speak their mother tongue. So I think we need both types of churches. Um, We need to keep on planting some immigrant churches. Um, um, We also need to, um, you know, 
help strengthen, uh, I don't know what you call Western type of churches to embrace immigrants. And uh, yeah. it's not easy. Anytime you embrace someone who's quite frankly different, you got to sacrifice something. Because here's the thing. If, if you truly believe um, your value is multiculturalism, if a, a value is something you're going to bleed for, right? Willingly. So some people are just, they'd love the term because it's almost like a, you've hit it, you know, when you're a multicultural type of church. But I would ask humbly people, if you're really serious about it, like you're going to have to sacrifice a lot to reach that culture, in, including most of your own preferences, including the way mm. you talk, including, you know, the cool factor in your church, <laughs> how, how cool and not cool you are in the, in the sense of like how hip and, and those, all those kind of things you mm. got to kind of sacrifice and it's not easy. Hey, my name is German. I help do graphic design for CCLN and I am from Vancouver, BC. Coming up, we have a soundbite from our episode with Matt Menzel and Father Justin that was released this past April. Here Matt Menzel shares his heart for church unity, asking us to consider what this unity could do for our world. Here it is. I've been thinking about this and thinking about the fact that, you know, even with irreconcilable differences, mm-hmm. we have this love between us. Yeah. And and thinking about the power of the gospel that's needed mm-hmm. in our country right now. Like yeah. we we are living in a time when division Mm. is like division is out of control culturally right we've never had so many labels that we slap on each other you know it's not just politics it's identity Mm. it's it's race it's gender it's it's socioeconomic it's whatever whatever area you want to go to we divide each other Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we write people off when they disagree with us yeah you know we all know about council culture all that kind of stuff that's becoming more and more just normative for us yeah and 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 i just i have to I have to think, and and we know this. The gospel, mm. the gospel is meant to unite us. Right, like it's meant to be unity and diversity, meant to bring us together as Correct. one man with all these differences. And so, I just, I, it makes me think, like, what would the impact of the church be in this world if we could find a way not to, not to attempt some lowest common denominator theology, yeah. not to water down anything, because yeah. I can't, you can't, no. but if we could find a way to love each other. Even yeah. in those differences across varying theological tra- traditions, what would the world see? Yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Daniel Rowe, the creative director here at CCLN, and I'm based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. For our final clip, we're sharing what Mark Sayers, pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, had to say about God's special purpose for Canada. We hope you find this as encouraging as we did. Here's Mark. So I've been praying a lot. I really felt God when I came to Canada at last, or when I last travel in 2019. I just felt there's a sense that God has a special purpose for Canada. It's a really fascinatingly positioned strategically uh, in the next phase of what God's doing in the world. There's talk of hard power, where there's countries with big armies and big infrastructures, and there's soft power. And soft power is this thing where people are drawn to you because of your culture, and there's things which are, in a sense, less tangible. And I feel like God is positioning Canada for a next season because Canada actually has a lot of soft power. Mm. And I see this incredible laboratory of what the church in the West can look like that has been given to people in Canada. You've got this Pacific reality, you know, with British Columbia. Then you've got this Atlantic reality in Toronto. So many different shades from prairies and and people in French speak. I mean, amazing, like post-Catholic French-speaking contexts are some of the biggest, toughest terrains uh, for mm. the secular sort of, you know, challenge of mission. But for those of you listening in those places, what an incredible opportunity to be part of the next thing that God wants to do and surprise people in the most secular of soil. 
you know, what actually if this, the whole Francophone world, actually what if something new started in the Francophone world that actually began in the French-speaking peoples of Canada? Um, mm. You know, what if actually that sort of like Pacific Northwest secularized reality that people are talking about in places like, you know, Seattle and Portland, but what actually if Scott was doing something in Vancouver, uh, you know, actually flowing out? And watch actually now if Canada is moving from a, a sort of second place in the world where it looks what's happening in other countries and perhaps looks to what's happening south of the border and back to, you know, the motherland in the UK. Uh, but what actually if God is actually positioning the Canada to do something? I, I'm saying what if? I'm going to be honest, as an honest Australian, I actually believe he's going to do something through Canada. Um, so you're part of a, a local thing, but you're part of a bigger thing God's doing in the world. And we're being set up to be the solution for the next thing that God wants to do in the world, of this renewal that I believe he wants to bring. So I actually think, despite all the bad news, be really encouraged. These are the moments when God does incredible things, and you're part of that. One really quick final thing. We're moving from the phase of the star leader, who's the superstar we're moving to now God creating a galaxy of leaders moving in symphony together, many stars as a whole, where you don't look at the star, you look at the creator behind the star. And I see across Canada that actually God is creating a galaxy, not superstars, but a galaxy. Mm -hmm. And that's the new mode of leadership that God's doing in the world for the next time. That is a wrap for the best of 2021. We hope those clips serve to encourage and inspire you. Thanks for listening in. As a heads up, we'll be taking a break from the podcast for the next two weeks. We hope that you're able to find some rest and peace in this Christmas season and that you enjoy some time with your family. Our team is going to do the same. We will be back on January 10th to share an interview with Tyler Staten, the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, who recently succeeded John Mark Comer. We're excited to release that your way. It was an incredible conversation and it'll be a perfect way to kick off another year on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Well, that's all that we have for you today and for this year. Thanks again for being with us. Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2022.